You're listening to X-Ray FM on KXRY Portland at 91.1 and 107.1, streaming online everywhere at xray.fm. This is Amplify Women on X-Ray FM. Radio is an industry that continues to exclude women and those with intersecting experiences of marginalization. It's X-Ray's goal to hold a mic up to those systemically excluded from radio 365 days a year. And one day each year on International Women's Day, we preempt all regular radio programming to celebrate those values. We call this radio teach-in Amplify Women. For the next hour, we'll be having a conversation about women in podcasts, broadcasts, and audio media industries generally. My name is Morgan Jones, and you may know me from News With My Fiance or the Unrefined Sophisticates podcast. Both air here on X-Ray. I'm also the co-host of Vern and Vern and the Workwives podcast. Or maybe you've caught some of my mini content, free game, or FYFF, or maybe we went to school together. Who knows? My guests today are Naomi Shaw and Jennifer Waits, and I'll let them each introduce themselves and what they do in this industry. Jennifer, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Thanks for having me on the show. I write about radio culture for Radio Survivor, uh, where we also have a podcast and syndicated radio show, which is on X-Ray, about radio culture called The Radio Survivor Show. And I'm also a college radio DJ. I do a music show at KFJC. And I have another podcast where I talk about Twin Peaks, the epic television show. So a wide variety of audio, writing about audio, doing podcasting, doing radio. Naomi. Hi, everyone. It's so nice to be here. I am the founder of an audio first rom-com company or romantic comedy company called Meet Cute, M-E-E-T-C-U-T-E. And we make a lot of scripted fictional romantic comedies for people to listen to. And so these are cinematic, very produced, professionally acted romantic comedies that are meant to just like make people feel good, introduce you to characters that you'll fall in love with. And the majority of our content is fictional. We do have a new, a non-fictional scripted show called uh, When I Met You, which is based on true couples and their relationships that we've turned into rom-coms. So everything we do is in and around the theme of love and human connection and making people feel good. And it's something that we really believe people need right now and want more of. Absolutely. (laughs) Let's start with like, we're all in this industry. What challenges have you faced to get into this industry? Um, And we'll start with you, Naomi. Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, A lot of times I'm in meetings with people who don't look or sound like me. And I think that there is just a especially podcasting is a more nascent industry. Um, whereas like radio has been around for a lot longer. Um, and in that, I think that there are a lot of people trying to figure things out for the first time. Like I think we're one of very few scripted fictional companies. And so not only do we need to talk about our company, what we do and explain it to people, but there's this other barrier, which is that, you know, I just, don't necessarily have those mentors in the space or the people that, you know, I can look at and say, Oh, look, that person has done something, um, and grown their company or their podcast in a really big way. Whereas I think in a lot of other industries, 
you can, you can more easily find those mentors. And if they're out there, I'm excited to, to go find them. I just haven't had the, like that wide of a network in the podcasting space yet. And I think a big reason for that is that it's a younger industry and traditionally not that many women are creating new companies and new shows here. So I'm really excited to, to meet a lot of women that are, that are starting like shows and, and creating content in this space and to try and create more mentorship for women in audio. I love that answer. And part of the reason I love it is if you Google podcasts or something like that, it appears to be everybody has one or 17 of them. And there's all of this huge network that you could get involved with. And it's like, no, I also haven't been able to find like a a network that you can um, bounce ideas off of each other um, and, and get some mentorship. I have a feeling Jennifer might have something to say about that too. But uh, (laughs) if you could give us any, uh, you know, challenges you faced entering this field. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a great question. It's a difficult question. And I think these days I'm thinking more about how to make change rather than the challenges, you know, like there's so much heavy stuff that we're all thinking about. And, you know, so I started doing college radio in college and, and college radio is often a very homogenous space. Um, you know, not that many women. And, and so I think I've sort of gotten used to maybe being in the minority as far as gender in, in the radio space and then in the podcasting space. And with, with my projects, I try to remind people that women have always been involved, even though sometimes it might not feel like it. So, you know, women have been involved with college radio since the 1920s, since the very beginning. And so it's been, to me, that's what's been really cool is to highlight these stories that women and people of color have been involved in college radio since the early days, you know, have been involved in podcasting. Like, that's important like you both have talked about mentors and I think also having these examples to look to even historically to me has been really helpful. And, and so on radio survivor, I've tried to produce a lot of shows where we're telling stories. We, we did a great episode about women who are involved in podcasting from the early days and podcasting often gets, you know, the, the lore is that, you know, it's this male industry that men were behind it at the beginning and there are always women creating podcasts. And unfortunately, a lot of the podcasts that they were creating, that some women were creating in the early days uh, were discounted because maybe they weren't as professional seeming. They, they came more out of some of these podcasts were more extensions of blogging, which is awesome. Like I love that origin story of podcasting that the blog, the universe of bloggers then went to podcasts and all of these people were really cutting edge as far as embracing the technology, but their stories aren't always told the stories of women who are podcasting. So to me, that's been just a real privilege to be able to remind people that that women have always been around in the audio industry. I think that's, that's a really good um, reminder because like so much of what gets told is the story or the, you know, whatever the actual content is that people are consuming. It doesn't need to be necessarily like even like the, the producers and the sound engineers and like people that work on it influence that end product. And so I think it's like, 
a big part of storytelling that it's not just the like the voice or like the, the talent that's actually like talking that is creating all of this work that we're consuming so much of, but it's like everyone on that, you know, that touches it in some way, shape or form is influencing the story. And that's a, that's a really nice way to think about it. I like that. And speaking of origin stories, <laughs> I would love to hear uh, both of your origin stories into uh, audio because like Jennifer was saying, the erasure of women in all of these industries and like pretending that there weren't, you know, substantial impacts made. I'd love to hear how you got <laughs> You know, uh, so Jennifer, if you could give us your origin story. Oh my God. Well, I mean, f- first of all, just, I'm always somebody, whenever I hear, I call them first claims. Like I've heard so many stories about like, this was the first female DJ or the first women's radio station. <laughs> and it was something that like happened in the seventies or the eighties, which is ridiculous because there were women women run radio stations, you know, in the 1920s. So there's so much, yeah, there's so much like people create these false narratives. Uh, But my origin story, you know, I, I went off to college and was really interested in music and found my way to the college radio station and got involved my first year there. And then I did a show with a friend, did a music show with a friend, and then we quickly became the music directors. So that was fun. You know, we had a little bit of power at our very very uninfluential campus only radio station that only broadcast on campus and into the dining center. But it was great. You know, it was for me, a lot of it was a creative outlet where I went to college. They'd had, they'd actually had a radio station an over the air AM radio station starting in 1923. So one of the very early student run radio stations and then, you know, other campus only stations, starting in the 1940s after that one folded. So there were some interesting old artifacts around the station, like old um, 78 RPM records. And I remember just the pleasure of going into the old library and finding stuff and mixing mixing in spoken word material from these old records with music. And it was just so much fun. I'd never done anything like that before. You know, that was that was great. That was the beginning for me, like the beginning of the love for college radio. And then, I mean, I pretty much haven't stopped doing college radio since then. I, I took a little bit of a break right after college, but then I went off to grad school and was afraid that I was going to be out of touch with music. And so I immediately went to the college radio station and got involved. And then I was pretty much hooked forever. Not a bad origin story. Um, <laughs> Naomi? So my origin story doesn't start with audio necessarily, but it starts with romantic comedies. Um, So growing up, I loved rom-coms and I was a massive tomboy. Like I had an uh, older brother, he's two and a half years older than me. And I would follow him around, wear all his clothes. I played all the sports he played. And I watched rom-coms like Bend It Like Beckham and She's the Man, which are both like these tomboyish female protagonists who are so strong and they know what they want. And I, and I related. And so then fast forward a bit, I um, graduated from school and uh, my, my second job was at a venture capital firm in New York. And we were looking at the space that, that we called well-being and well-being kind of encapsulated like healthcare and mental health, 
but you know, I, I loved storytelling and I loved entertainment. And I realized that a big part of like what made me feel good and what was part of my well being was entertainment. And we weren't looking at that category um, at the venture capital firm that I was at. And so I was also like, besides just entertainment, starting to get really obsessed with, with the audio space. I think that like that happened for a few reasons. One, I, everywhere that I walked in New York, which is where I lived, I had my AirPods in. So I'd always be listening to something. I realized that I started consuming entertainment more on the go and, and, you know, didn't have to be parked on my couch or in one spot to, to enjoy it. So it was almost like more accessible. Cause I think what we don't think about is a lot of people don't have time in their day to sit down and like watch a, an hour of news or watch a 90 minute movie because they have to provide for their family. They work multiple jobs. And, and so I thought there was this like really cool accessibility part of it that I think, um, people weren't necessarily thinking about as an implication for a lot of content moving to audio. And then I just, this is my favorite one, but I realized that in audio, things are really intimate because no one knows what you're listening to when you have your headphones in. Mm. Um, and it gives the imagination it, it in entertainment specifically, it takes the imagination from the person producing a movie to each individual. So like when you're listening to an audio story, you can cast yourself and your best friends into the main characters. And you can imagine the setting to be the last airport terminal that you were in. So it became this like very intimate experience where you were basically in the creator's seat, making the story come to life. And so I was like kind of obsessed with all these ideas, didn't really know what to do with that, but started like writing some of my ideas out. And the venture capital firm that I was at started noticing that I was spending a lot of my time on this and was like, well, what if you, what if you like went off and like worked on this idea for a little bit, we think there's something interesting there. So I just started talking to a lot of people in audio. Um, a lot of people that worked on podcasts, I started talking to like filmmakers and actors and producers and all of that work, I eventually spun into what today is meet cute. And now we like make basically movies for audio, um, and distribute them through podcasts. And so kind of a, you know, a zigzag origin story, but that's how it all started. <laughs> Another really great origin story. So a, a quick question, the, the venture firm that you were working for, they, did they pay you to do that? Were they like, you go do this. Don't do this job that we hired you for. You do that part. So at first I was still employed by the venture firm, but I wasn't working. I was like working 50% of my time on the job that they hired me for. And then basically in the evening, I would like pivot to working on this new company that I was excited about. And then about two to three months down the road, I had a very honest conversation. I was like, I don't think this is sustainable to like do two jobs at once. And I'm excited about this. And they they were like, why don't you come in and pitch us? And so I basically pitched the firm that I worked for and they were excited about the idea. So they became my seed, seed investors for, for what is meet cute today. That is so amazing. I love it, love <laughs> it so much. <laughs> I feel like that's not a lot of people's origin story. And uh, no, I feel very lucky that that happened. I, I think it was like a very, very cool and different experience that I'm very fortunate to have had. Well, and I, they also saw the value, right? Like it, how many places are like, you come pitch me. <laughs> like that doesn't happen very often. They're getting pitched all the time, you know? Uh, totally. 
that's that's really cool. Um, could, I, could I ask Naomi a question? Because I'm I'm so intrigued by this idea of rom com movies as podcasts, and you know, I'm thinking about the history of radio. You know, because podcasting has so much of a connection with radio, and a lot of kind of the stereotype of of some of these podcasts is has origins in radio dramas. Yeah. Um, and and so I'm curious if you if you did research about that and if there was a rom-com equivalent, you know, in the early days of radio that was also an inspiration besides rom-com movies, like modern rom-com movies. Yeah, definitely. A lot of the radio plays, I think, are what we model our stories off of, like in terms of format. So I don't have one specific example, but I like read a lot about how radio plays were formatted. Like they all have like cliffhangers in certain parts to keep people listening to the next chapter and they're serialized so that people keep coming back for more. So, um, less in like the content part of a radio play. So there wasn't like a, a direct necessarily parallel there, but in like the format and how we produce, I think that there are a lot of similarities to radio plays. For example, like each episode at meet cute is only 15 minutes long and within that there are five three minute chapters and you guys i think will really appreciate this as people in audio but we chose three minutes because music people consume it on the radio pop music has that three minute format and people come back and listen to those songs again and again but that's not at all what the listening behavior is like for scripted storytelling so we were like what if we change the format of scripted storytelling to fit what music is like and if we do that can we change listening behavior to fit um, how people consume music so we took a lot of analogies and, and kind of brought that into meet cute you know I think that like radio plays like you said have been around for so much longer um, and so I'm sure there are a lot of historical examples of like romance or rom-com-esque or even like rom-dramas that that we can look at I'm just kind of floored over here like changing the way that we listen to things so I feel like this is a good time to just talk about a little bit of what it looks like for your day to day. And um, we'll start with you, Naomi, because you're doing something that's very different than both of us. And um, it sounds like a lot of hands on deck. So I would love to know what it looks like uh, a day in the life of you at Meet Cute. There's a lot of moving pieces at Meet Cute. And I think that like what I see my job as is um, kind of like orchestrating all those moving pieces and keeping those trains moving on their tracks. So we have three different verticals at our company. We have development that works with a network of writers who create the ideas that end up becoming meet cute rom-coms. Then we have content, which is everything from casting to production to post-production and editing. And then we have marketing. And so at the beginning, I was actually a lot closer to the creative, to like, you know, the actual stories that were being produced than I am today. And today, I think because we have a larger team, a lot of my time goes into working across all of those different teams, working on partnerships externally, working with talent and trying to bring new new voices into Meet Cute. So Lisa Loeb did an episode with us. Julianne Huff did an episode with us. This like rising UK singer songwriter named Mae Muller just did an episode with us where she voice acted and she licensed her music to us so that we could use it in the show. 
And so a lot more of my work is less focused on the actual creation of audio and a lot more focused on enabling other people to create and kind of moving roadblocks out of their way so that we can create a lot of stories for our audiences. For someone with a brain like mine, um, I used to do lots of exactly that, making sure the pieces were working right. And now I'm like, I can't even imagine. (laughs) It's so much work. It's there's so much to be done. I will say like the best parts of my day are like, yes, I do meetings for like most of the day. The best parts of my day are when I get to listen or watch something and like provide feedback. I think that like, that's also how my brain works, but I have to like block that time on my calendar so I don't lose it. Yeah. (laughs) Jennifer. So it's, I mean, it's really different for me because I'm more like an independent producer. So if I'm, if I'm working on radio survivor there, we might be planning for a podcast episode. So I might be reaching out to potential guests. I might be writing up questions, um, you know, doing research, writing up questions for an interview. Uh, I might be writing an article or writing up, you know, kind of the post that goes along with the episode that is the show notes describing the episode and what we talked about. Um, so that that's some of the work on Radio Survivor. And, and often I've had a very specific idea in mind that I want to make sure that we're having um, conversations with a wide variety of people. So I'm trying to book women pretty much every single time, you know, like my, my co-hosts are men and, and I realize like the kind of stereotypes of podcasting is that it's, you know, three men talking about something on a podcast. So I'm cognizant of that. So I, I, I think about, you know, having guests and having topics on the show that are broadening our understanding of audio and, and not sort of relying on people we might know, but, you know, branching outside of kind of our everyday network. So that's, that's the radio survivor side of things. Um, I'm also a writer, so so some days I might be pitching an article idea to somebody or going out and doing research about it. And then then I do a college radio show and I'm publicity director for for KFJC where I do my college radio show. So I might be posting things to our website. Um, and we're doing we're also doing stuff for Women's History Month. So since the pandemic started, we're playing more well we weren't playing any archival programming before the pandemic but now we're playing shows for our archives when we can't get a live dj so i went back through and was researching specials that people might have done in the past that were related to women's history and so sharing those with other people on the staff so that they can edit them and play them again to help celebrate Women's History Month, and and also worked on that for Black History Month too, and and we had like way more specials than I anticipated. So I was excited, you know. I think it's it's been important, you know, for our station and for a lot of radio stations to really be thinking about how to expand the programming and make sure that we're amplifying voices that we haven't traditionally amplified. So that's been a big part of what I've been trying to do and and thinking about intersectionality also like even looking back at some radio specials that I did in the past I did one about Riot Girl and years and years ago and and now I've been reading 
critiques of Riot Girl. So I'm hoping to do another special where I kind of rectify some of that and and talk about how some of these subcultures like Riot Girl, you know, were really great and like it was something that I really in- embraced and enjoyed um, and found empowering. You know, that aspect of third wave f- feminism that was all DIY, but there are also blind spots in in the movement and. And so I think that's a great opportunity with having a platform of of a radio show or a radio station or a podcast is that you can reflect back on audio you've created before and and do new specials that, you know, maybe highlight some artists that you might have missed the first time around. You mentioned COVID and I'm I'm just going to say really quickly, my origin story of coming to audio is sort of like the blogger. Uh, I wasn't a blogger, but I was a get a blog person on Facebook, you know, like that was my, I was giving you everything I got. And I started doing podcasts before COVID, but COVID vastly changed my life and my interest in this industry and opened um, the possibility of doing these things, you know, from home. How has COVID changed or altered any of your businesses? Um, it, It was in, in my case, it gave me more time to invest in this and really start to get okay with hearing my own voice and all of those things. Um, <laughs> but I know that it also opened the door for people to get in touch with doing audio and consuming audio instead of the way that they used to consume stories. So Naomi, I'll start with you because yours are scripted stories that are like, I know I'm just going to get stuck and I'm going to be completely I'm your number one listener all of a sudden. I love, uh, <laughs> um, I love a good story. Like, I love to listen to a good story. One of my kind of goals podcasting is to do one of those like sort of scripted tell a tell a full story along across however many yeah. episodes. And so did did COVID affect any of that for you? Did, were you able to open up more lanes or anything like that? Yes. Um, Meet Cute launched publicly February 2020. So Valentine's Day 2020. And uh, <laughs> wow. a few weeks later, we were in lockdown. Um, I was literally onboarding someone to our team the day that my mom was texting me like, you must fly home. Like New York is going to close the borders, you know, like this, like just freaking out. She was like booking me a rental car. I was like, I'm not going to drive across the country. Anyway, so we were in a very pivotal part of building our company when COVID hit. And the first two weeks of COVID was like we were creating contingency plan after contingency plan. How do we keep these productions going when we were renting studio space in New York to bring all the actors in? Our producers were coming into studios. We only really knew at that point how to do in-person productions because part of acting we thought was like seeing your fellow characters and fellow actors and riffing off of them in person. So like if someone's taking a sip of water in the story, you know, you're, you're acting it out and you kind of feel that character. We wanted to really bring it to life. So then, then fast forward and we realized, okay, we're not going back to studios anytime soon. I think the biggest pivot point for us came when we realized that we could start casting people in our stories who weren't based in New York and LA. And we were already working with writers from a bunch of different States. And, um, to Jennifer's point, like had part of our core company value was that we believe in diversity and storytelling and that 
more diversity makes better stories. So, um, like even just like the gender split, but also like different races writing these stories, people from different communities. Like we have, we want, um, a drag queen to act a drag character because like they know, you know, different parts of that community that someone else wouldn't know. Like a big chunk of our library, um, features LGBTQ characters. And we didn't want to be the place that has all these rom-coms about people coming out and that being the conflict in the rom-com. We wanted them to just to be characters in a rom-com and kind of like start from that as a baseline. So to come back to your question, COVID, the silver lining was that we realized that we had much more access to diversity because we could cast geographically anywhere. And that the luckily like the technology to actually record podcasts, the cost has come down significantly. So a lot of people already had uh, recording rigs in their home because they were looking for work, doing voice acting work, doing voiceovers, um, a lot of these actors, producers, directors. And so we really opened up our funnel and we started making productions all over the United States. Um, we last year did our first international production. So we did a series completely written by, produced, acted, and engineered, like sound designed by a team in Nigeria. And so we want to do more of that. And now we're like, the the like limit doesn't exist on like where we can go with Meet Cute. And so it, it almost like forced us to think a lot bigger than we were thinking, being like a, you know, more localized company. I think that that was something that like the world just hadn't seen how much opportunity there was in it. And I'm making COVID sound like it's a good thing. Of course, we all went through the trials and tribulations (laughs) of running a company, people burning out on just like being at home all the time and, and not seeing people like there were terrible parts of the last two years. The silver lining was that I think we really expanded what our vision is for, for bringing diversity to me cute because of it. Thank you for throwing down that baseline, because that is what I, I, I guess I started in the middle. I do not in any way mean that uh, COVID was like this major greatness for all of us that yeah. we all got to <laughs> do great things with it. But with the idea that where was the silver lining for you and what you're doing, something you said just really sparked in me. And I think that um, I just want to say it, that it made you think bigger than you already were. That resonates big time because I had not thought about, I'd always done these things in person. I had not thought about being able to create space for myself in my home to do that or anywhere else. And the possibilities that that opened, I could, oh, I can have guests now. I can do, you know, like there were all these things that we have Zoom, we can have eight people on our show. Oh my gosh. Like, it really made us have to think bigger. And I didn't think about that until you just said it. So thank you. Jennifer, how has COVID been a silver lining for you? <laughs> yeah, I appreciate I appreciate hearing, you know, because obviously we're all still suffering uh, the aftermath of COVID. We're still in it. And, you still know, yeah. the ripple effects are, are terrible. But I will say I have to agree that, well, a couple things. At KFJC, the radio station where I volunteer, everything went virtual. Well, some people were still coming into the studio, but things like weekly meetings, those all um, transitioned to Zoom. And then things like production sessions started happening over Zoom. So people are meeting every week and collaborating on production. And, and that's been a really vibrant 
experience for people. So some people who are new to the radio station, like that's a way for them to get involved right away. So I would say that's a big silver lining. And, and we have people coming to our weekly meetings who live far away. So people, some people who were never able to attend meetings now are able to attend over Zoom. And so I think that's actually going to change how things, even when meetings return in person, I think there's always going to be a virtual option. So I think that makes the station more accessible to a lot of people. And that's great. On the radio survivor side of things, one colleague lives in San Francisco, two live in Portland. And so the podcast we've always recorded remotely. So when when COVID hit, you know, it was just sort of we were recording. We continued like at the very beginning of the pandemic, we were putting out weekly episodes and and that was also a really nice it was nice because like we had a sense of normalcy because we were continuing with our jobs the way we always did because you know nothing changed for us except we had more people perhaps in our dwellings with us than than we used to um with other you know with other family members working at home but you know we continued and in the early days we did a lot of episodes about how community radio and college radio in particular how how stations were responding to covid and and that to me was really inspiring to hear the creativity and you know how people were sort of figuring things out on the fly and to me that's i don't know that's just sort of a privilege of doing that kind of radio show is that we can respond to you know with these events like that and and there were some pretty powerful stories about you know, talking to somebody who ran a station in the New York area and, you know, being concerned about people in their community who were getting sick and dying. And, and I remember him talking about the, you know, he also hosted a comedy show on the station. And so how do you, how do you, how do you modulate the entertainment and the news that you're providing when you're in the midst of a crisis? And I went to other, virtual conferences that kind of address that too, like how how radio changed, how radio morning shows changed when a lot of people weren't commuting in their car or when people don't want to hear the same kinds of jokes that they might have been hearing in the past. Um, so it's been interesting to, to be able to have these conversations and listen in um, to how the radio industry has responded to COVID too. My kind of storytelling is adding context and sort of connecting dots to historical things, to issues today. So I don't know that I even call myself a storyteller because um, I'm really just adding context and trying to get people to think more broadly about the world and, you know, uh, intersecting things. What compels you to tell the stories that you tell, whether it's personal or, you know, family things, identities, your values, or, you know, a desire to highlight other people. Jennifer, you you go first. I feel like Naomi's going to have a, a laundry list. Because... <laughs> it's well, it's a lot of things like I'm a curious person. I'm I'm a writer. You know, I'm a writer. I was a writer before I was doing any sort of radio or audio. So I like things that are a mystery and a puzzle and things that are confusing or, you know, like stories that are intriguing. So those are the kinds of people I like to invite on to Radio Survivor to learn about, you know, like I've, I've invited a lot of scholars on the show. So that's been really interesting to me to learn about these kind of um, niche areas of audio scholarship and 
and, and I've thought about Radio Survivors looking at the world through the lens of radio, but it's really through the lens of audio. So we've broadened. So we might talk about radio. We might talk about podcasting. We might talk about sound art. I love hearing about these kind of unusual stories. And then I also love, like I've been mentioning, like throughout this hour, um, love talking about the history of, of say women in audio art or women in sound art and, you know, opening the eyes of people today or helping people today understand kind of the historical context for the music and the art that we hear and, and, and to see women's contributions to that. Amazing. Naomi, what compels you? This is a really good question. It's not one that people ask very often, but I think I need to start asking more people this question. <laughs> I really like the idea of making stories that people anywhere can relate to. And I don't think that there's one story that every single person will be able to relate to. I think that you have to make many different stories that people see themselves reflected in. Sometimes I think that like the genre of stories that we make romantic comedies get sidelined as like, that's chiclet. Like those are stories for women. Right. And like, they don't necessarily always go on to win awards and they're, they're sometimes seen as frivolous. And, and it, it actually shocks me because so many of these stories are rooted in things that humans relate to. It's like love, human connection, finding yourself, coming of age, developing a bond with a best friend, familial interactions, interpersonal skills. Like there are all these parts of these stories that I think we can relate to. And the thing that bonds them all that brings them all together is that there is this emotionally satisfying ending. So if answering the question, what compels me, it's creating stories that people can relate to. And traditionally, I think that we've, the entertainment industry has created stories that one type of person can relate to. And I think that broadening that to a much bigger variety of people is so important. And we're starting to see that change in, in TV shows and movies and the, the people working on them. And so let's bring that to audio and let's, let's make it a, a bigger push across every format and medium that we consume content um, through. And so I think that if we can do that at meet cute and build a brand and a community of people that care about optimism, hope, happiness is such a weird word, but like, those are the three types of emotions that you feel when you watch or listen to a rom-com. I think that that is, is really like why I'm, I'm building this and, and why everyone I think that works at meet cute works at meet cute. When we hear feedback from our audience, it's always something like this got me through a really hard night of studying, or I was able to fall asleep because of this story or, um, I was having a really chaotic morning with my kid and this calmed me down in the car. You know, it's like always stories of people using it as an, as escapism and as something that like they can learn from, but through a fictional lens. And so I'm excited about like stories that people relate to and also not sidelining fictional stories about positive things like love as being frivolous. Cause I think that those are really important to tell. And those are probably the two things that like led to led to this company. It's funny to me that it is rom-coms are totally looked at by, you know, a large group of people as sort of frivolous and, you know, just what the chicks like and whatnot. And 
if that were true, why do they have so many? Why are, you know, like huge stars do rom-coms. Yeah. There's, you know, whole networks dedicated to those kind of shows and movies. So I, I wonder, like, who are these people that are like, this is totally frivolous, but they, someone's consuming it, right? <laughs> like, they're just... They're so wrong. And I mean, it makes me think about how soap operas, you know, historically were dismissed and, you know, yet they had humongous sponsorships and have gone on for generation after generation. And it's like, you know, a lot of these things people might watch or listen to and call it a guilty pleasure, which to me is so sad. Like, I love all forms of popular culture and I don't think anybody should ever say something as a guilty pleasure. I think you should embrace whatever you watch. And, and I think what, you know, the, the content you're producing, I mean, it sounds like the most amazing self-care. If you think about the advice that we're all getting right now about find ways to take care of yourself and take care of your emotions, you know, like, so, so we all should be consuming entertainment that makes us happy, you know? Yeah. I also think that like, you can learn so much from stories. You know, my parents never read Harry Potter. They were like, that's like for kids and it's fantasy. And I don't like the moment that like someone pulls a wand out, they're like, no, like we're not, (laughs) but like it taught us about like making friends and like best friendship and what that looks like. Right. It taught us about like, I don't know, like I was very pre relationships when I first started reading Harry Potter, but like it taught us like you ask someone out in a way that makes them feel good. You know, like I'm excited about that becoming more normal in pop culture, um, to your point, Jennifer, and like people being okay with the things that actually do make them feel good. Cause like they're like Netflix, HBO, like they have the most viewing data and they just crank out these types of movies. And so it's clearly not just like some small group of people who likes them. It's, it's like a much larger thing. Yeah. That's my point. Like somehow I think because it is, I'm just going to get on my soapbox for a second about patriarchy, but I, I, I somehow, I mean, I think it's because it has been billed for, for women. Yeah. That means it's not smart or something, or you can't, there's no, you know, like it's only about love. So who wants that women? I think you've learned a lot of emotional maturity, right? And like, maybe we should have lots more men listening to that or watching rom-coms and not to be like, you know, the white knight, but to understand better how to talk to other people. (laughs) Like you said, um, learning from Harry Potter, how to ask somebody out that isn't in a way that could be, you know, pressuring or uh, mess up your friendship. Like that's it. That's huge. And goes towards who you're going to be later in life. And when you're in those positions of either being asked out or asking out, and we need that, you don't get that other places. And I'm a firm believer that I don't care what a textbook says it all. If you are an emotionally mature person, you are going to treat other people well. You are going to, you know, learn from your mistakes. You're going to apply that knowledge going forward. And I want more of those as children <laughs> to become emotionally mature adults because, you know, we got work to do there. And I think that that genre itself lends to that teaching, like learning how to be. Uh, to connect with other people is huge, especially in this day and age where we are, even pre-COVID, doing so many things online. 
doing so many things through screens. Now we're doing even more things through screens. So how do you learn to have an emotional connection if you don't get outside and meet new people and all of those things? I I just think that's fantastic. (laughs) Well, yeah, and it gets me thinking about young people who, you know, their relationships are largely being conducted on their phone and through screens. So, you know, I would imagine that's a topic in some of your rom-coms too, is that, you know, navigating a relationship is so much different for teenagers today than when I was a teenager and everything was happening in person or over the phone, but now it's devices. Yeah. I actually, I follow a few, like, you know, people that give advice around dating and relationships and stuff like that. And a lot of questions from like young people today are, you know, things like after what text are, am I like serious about someone or like, when do I FaceTime someone after texting them for this many months? Or, um, when do you go from like a FaceTime to an in-person, you know, just like, it's such a different order of operations, I think to like any other generation. Um, and like, there's a lot of audio in that too. Like, like, I think that like, I'm, I actually think that there is an audio show here. That's just about like dating people through the phone, you know, like, I think that that's like part of the pandemic is like, people couldn't see their first, second, third dates in person. And so they literally dated through the phone. Um, and I think that that would be an amazing, like, I am ready to tune in. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I'm ready to listen to that story Uh, because seriously, we are so, so far removed from the way that we used to do things. And you saying the order of operation is different. It, I wouldn't know what to do right now at (laughs) all. Like anytime someone calls my phone, I'm kind of confused. Like, what did you want from me? Um, So I'm like FaceTiming new people. What? No, I'm not. doing. (laughs) Especially out of the blue. Like, Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've I've definitely, I have a teenager and I've definitely heard some comments from the teen peer group about that very question about, you know, when do you FaceTime? And Uh is that like, is that too bold to even ask to FaceTime? See, I would have no idea what to do with it. Like, do you get ready for a FaceTime the same way that you get ready for a date? Girl. (laughs) Probably. Yeah, probably. I mean, you just can still wear sweatpants maybe. I know, exactly. Like, up here. <laughs> cute on top, comfy on the bottom. <laughs> so we're nearing the end of our hour, but I have two things that I want to make sure that we cover. First being, do you guys, uh, if anybody asks me, like, what's your advice for women in audio? My advice is do it. Like, do it now. Hop in there. You can get your own equipment. You can record a bunch of stuff on your phone. So it's limited advice, but it's like, don't wait. Um, I waited for a really long time and mostly because of weird self-conscious things like I don't like the sound of my voice or whatever. And now I'm like, can't stop talking into a mic. (laughs) So I'd love to know, Jennifer, what advice would you give women who are looking to be in the industry or are already in and are like, what do I do? That, I mean, you already gave the best advice, which, um, one of my colleagues gave me the same advice, you know, when people ask him, about, oh, should I start a podcast? And he says, just do it. You know, don't let your head get in the way and and you can start small. And there are lots of free tools out there. There's There are a lot of people willing to give you advice. In San Francisco, there are places like Women's Audio Mission that, 
you know, provides all sorts of amazing training for women around audio, which is cool because they provide training for audio production, which, you know, traditionally has been a very male space and a very unwelcoming space. So I like any organization that tries to break down those barriers and, and make things, um, feel welcoming. So yeah, ignore the people who seem to be dismissive and unwelcoming, who might try to make you think you don't understand gear just because you're a woman, you know, that's stupid. Um, and, and I think, you know, a silver lining of the pandemic too, is that across television, um, and radio people become more accepting for a wide variety of, um, audio quality. So you've probably even noticed it on your local news. You might see people who are, you know, using the equipment they have at home um, to broadcast. Um, you might see people recording things on their phones. So, so don't be afraid. I think some pe sometimes people get really fixated on the gear, like, oh, I need to figure out like the perfect microphone and headphone to get before I start podcasting. And that's so not important. Like you could start, you could start just using your phone. So don't get tripped up on all the trappings. Just, just get started. Don't overthink. Naomi. Yeah, I really like that advice. It reminds me of like, what is the most popular instrument today? And like people will guess like piano, drums, and it's actually your computer. You know, like oh, man. Most people, like, <laughs> you know, like it's it's, it's crazy metal. that that is like one of the most popular ways and it's low barrier. Like record on your phone, record wherever. My advice I think is to find your niche, something that like you're uniquely positioned and have and want to have a voice in and then just have conviction around it and like keep doing it over and over again. I think that like, there is a lot of like hesitation around, oh, there's in the pandemic, like so many different people started a podcast and started creating audio and, and a lot of people do have access to equipment. And so it's like, you know, instead of trying to boil the ocean, just focus on something that you're uniquely positioned to tell and then just tell it really well, do your research, talk to people, find mentors in that space, and then just like, don't stop doing it. Cause I think that like, honestly, a big part of media and content is just repetition and, and you need to like, keep doing the same thing over and over again for people to get it and for them to recognize that that's your voice, that's your brand. Um, and so I really like the idea of like even going like as narrow as you want and, and making it feel more bite-sized and, and like digestible for yourself. So it's not like, it's not like you're paralyzed when you think about the prospect of jumping in. Um, and like, people always are like, Oh, like you should do every type of story, every format, like meet cute can do everything. And I'm like, no, like our brand is this because I want to be known for this. And, and, we will build a, a vertical media company around that. It's so like have conviction in that and like, don't just like, you know, go all over the place because people say you should do this or you should do that. That's my advice. I, I just want to applaud that. I think that's great advice. And, and the thing that I left out of my origin story was that I started writing about radio by starting a blog about college radio culture because nobody was writing about college radio culture like in the popular press, in, in blogs and academia, like it was very few and far between. And so it was, it was my niche. And then quickly I became an expert about college radio culture because I was just writing about it 
all the time on my blog, which, you know, I started my blog in 2008, Spinning Indie on Blogspot. <laughs> it's still there. Um, <laughs> That's and, super cool. And, yeah. you know, like, I think, like, in my mind, I was like, oh, I feel like I should start a blog. It was kind of like... Um, where podcasts, you know, were a few years ago. That's the way it was with blogging at the time. Like, oh, I feel like I need to have a blog. And and you're right. You need to just think about what am I passionate about? What do I what do I have what what do I have a burning need to tell a story about? And for me it was college radio. I had like a whole bunch of information I'd uncovered through some research I had done and just felt like I needed to get it out there. Um and so then it was born. <laughs> That's a really good example of, of exactly that advice. This advice is so great. Don't overthink it and be consistent. Consistency is key, right? Like find your niche, be consistent. We just did it. We did, we did the mentoring today. Everybody <laughs> can go start their yeah, high, five. high five to everybody around. That's what you need to do. Um, before we go, I just want to uh, know how you guys feel about like, how can audio media better serve women of color? Or do you see that already happening? Do you want to see more of it? How can this industry better serve? I don't have a better way to say that. I'll oh, start. I'll, yeah, I'll go with you, Naomi. Okay. <laughs> I think being open to new ideas. Um, if I were, if I could like, if I had a magic wand and I was like, here's the, the thing. I think a lot of times people don't know what to do with what I call like the, you know, new age of radio dramas. They're like podcasts, I think often are thought of as like, unscripted, more news oriented. And there's a reason. Cause that's like, like that was the first five years of podcasts were mostly that. And so being a little more open-minded means that like people with new ideas, like whether they're women of color, women in general, people who want to take risks and experiment, I think that they'll just have a little bit more of a platform and a little bit more of an ability to share. Um, and it won't be quite as intimidating. Um, I find a lot that like, you know, I end up spending most of my time talking to people about like what we're doing and trying to convince them that there is, um, a, a massive market here, like, like people that actually want this type of content. And so being more open-minded, I think, um, and then the, the first thing I said in this inner, in this, uh, panel, which is more mentorship and like being open to opening doors for people. It, it truly is a rising tides lifts all boats type of industry where you don't lose when someone else wins. So like, you know, just, just make the intro, do as much as you can for other women, um, especially women of color. I think that those are, um, bring more guests onto your show that don't look like the traditional guest cast more women in fictional roles. I think that that's something that like, those are like table stakes today, in my opinion. You said it. Um, <laughs> there's this idea and especially with um, sort of smaller industries that if you make it, you need to now be a gatekeeper instead of being a door opener. And I am seeing a lot of people become door openers instead of gatekeepers. And that is so amazing. Um, and especially not to do any uh, getting into the weeds of anybody's age here, but you are, uh, Naomi, in a generation that I am just in love with because 
it's all of the things that I have always been like, hey, how come this thing isn't like that? And how come this thing isn't like that? And what about that thing back there? Why isn't it like that? And your generation is like, we can have that and we're going to make that. And if the way you guys did this is real silly, not going to do that anymore. And it, I think that opens the door for um, older people to be like, oh, <laughs> why, did, why did we think of that? Maybe done that. <laughs> Um, so yes, uh, I love that point. It's, it's really, really a good point that you made there. Um, Jennifer. Yeah, no. And I agree, Naomi. I mean, cause it's a more collaborative, um, less fearful approach, <laughs> you know, that is, that's more welcoming to a lot of people. And, and, you know, I wish I had, I wish I had great answers. Um, but I think Naomi outlined, you know, much of what I think is really important. I think, you know, for me personally, being very conscious when I'm booking guests and, and making that a priority. Cause I think, I think a lot of times the old way of doing things was to not be conscious about being anti-racist and welcoming. And, and I think we all have to do that every single day. Um, you know, I was talking to a friend about, there was a conference, um, that she attended and she noticed that on the website, the featured speakers who they chose to have photos of were, you know, like maybe all older white men when there were still, when there were a lot of speakers at the conference who did not, you know, fit that, <laughs> um, fit that image. Um, and so it's, you know, it's having everybody involved in making your company, your website, um, your radio show a welcoming place and just being conscious of, you know, like if we want to be more, if we want more people, a diverse range of people to come to our conference or listen to our radio show, then we need to be reflective of that community that we want to welcome in every single way. So that includes things you might not think about, like, you know, your Instagram feed, um, the radio shows you program, um, so yeah, those are, those are a few ideas, but there's, there's still so much more to be done that we all have to be working on, you know, on a daily basis. For sure. Um, as a, as a black woman, I have spent a lot of my time either not being heard or being actively silenced. And so that was definitely a part of my hindrance to this kind of like, uh, who would want to hear what I have to say? And Luckily, I have been, um, you know, welcomed in spaces where I thought that I wouldn't be um, welcomed in ways that people want to hear what I have to say about a certain topic or, you know, something like that. And the more women, the more intersection that's there, it, that is the environment. And um, I'm excited to be a part of this industry. And I'm super excited to have met both of you and get to chat with both of you today. Um before we go, do you have anything you want to say, uh, tell people where to go to get more information about you, follow you on the socials, what you got? Well, Radio Survivor, radiosurvivor.com is where you can find podcasts that I've worked on in our radio show and on Instagram and Twitter, I'm Spinning Indie, which is the name of my old school <laughs> blog spot, college radio blog that I referenced. You can find Meet Cute on our website, which is www.meetcute.com, or just search Meet Cute on any podcast player that you prefer, and, and you'll see us pop up. We have a really like bright 
emoji driven logo. And then me personally, I'm at Naomi C. Shaw on Twitter. And, um, that is, I like to post a lot of thoughts about entertainment, media, audio, all of that there. Absolutely incredible conversation. Thank you both. Uh, if anybody wants to follow me, you can catch me at Portland Morgan on Instagram. Thank you guys both so much for being a part of Amplify Women. Uh, we're lucky to have got to, to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you.